take a walk with us down memory lane, or maybe help spark a conversation with a loved one about the way farms used to sound. With your Amazon device or Alexa app, say, Alexa, play country farm sounds and escape to a mid-1900s farm where they will take a walk during morning chores. Welcome into the Friday, December 29, 2023 installment of Market Plus. Joining us now, Christy Venon Jesus for the last show of 2023. A couple of these questions are looking forward to 24. What is the headline in commodities for 23? Yeah, when you look at 23, I think the hardest thing is just how hard everything fell um, when really you didn't, um, some people didn't expect it to and how hard it fell. You know, you look at where we were last year for corn, we're 30% lower uh, year over year for March corn. So you've lost a third of the value almost into a, a price. And when you're still battling higher prices from um, a couple years ago for inputs, that is really difficult to deal with, right? Um, I think another thing has been interest rates. When you talk about interest rates and how they're starting to slowly make their way into affecting kind of your cash decisions. It's been a while since you've really had to factor in those decisions into when you want to sell or what you want to hold. So I think those are probably the two biggest talking posts, points that you've had in, in 2023. I think you can also talk about how you've had some shining moments from ethanol profitability, crush margins have been very strong, but we've really seen crush margins deteriorate the last three or four weeks. We have a few questions that are all in those veins, but let's start off the top, Neil. Social media reports with Keith in Illinois. He says that Brazil's corn is $1.50 per bushel higher than ours. That's what he sees on social media. Why does China keep buying corn from Brazil if it is such a premium to ours? Do I get in politics right away? I think so. I think there's some talking points you could put in there that uh, have to do with politics, right? We um, look at the relationship right now between China and the U.S. It's probably not the best that it's it's been recently. It's it's definitely not the worst, but there is some room to work there. So I think that has some parts to do with it. I also think that you're looking at them wanting to really invest in Brazil, create that relationship with Brazil. Um, Brazil doesn't fight them on a lot of things where the U.S. is going to come in here and consistently try and, and push their way and make sure they're not getting ran over. So I think they want to keep that relationship strong. Uh, I think there will be a moment that they have to come to the U.S. because you look at Brazil and they're just starting to plant their safrina crop, which is their big exportable crop. And so this is corn, U.S. corn's moment to really say, are we going to have that relationship with China or not? We're going to figure that out over the next two to three months. Is that a political statement? I mean, in the sense of how, the markets speak and dictate things. Right. But who's making that statement that you're saying that? Yeah, I think it's just the fact that, like, does, does China really need the corn or do they not? And if they really need the corn, they're, they're going to eventually not be able to find it in Brazil because they're at the end of it. They're just planting their crop where we have ample amounts of supply. I think the U.S. dollar could play a role into yeah. that. But I think overall, it's just you're catching them at a time to say if they really want corn, um, we're going to be the one that can provide it the best. Go back to Christy's comments about the dollar in the analysis segment there as we, we kind of covered that there a moment ago. Let's go Mike in Iowa uh, for a moment, kind of a follow-up a little bit there. Give us a little outlook. What's it going to take to get some higher corn prices? Or is it even possible? <laughs> 
Corn's a little bit on the tricky one. Um, you know, I, I definitely don't want to sound like this perma bear that's always coming out here and always talking about the negative sides of things. But corn has not had a realist, right? Corn has not had a great story for a while, and there was a question that was put on social media that was saying, "Are we going to have this corn hangover month over month?" And that is what we're going to have to deal with for a while is that every month USDA is going to have a crop report and you're going to see a large number for corn for the U.S. It's going to take some drastic cuts. I think that if you, you know, majority of people that you're talking about, I'm not sure you can talk about a, a yield decrease in corn at this point for January 12th. And if you do see one, I don't think it's sizable enough to really make it a huge difference. We do know that ethanol profitability has been there. You look at feed use and say, hey, if, if we're going to be able to make this work, can you see some sort of feed use? Exports have picked up. We have seen them start to step in. Our relationship with Mexico has been pretty good. So I think you have those moving parts, but regardless, you're looking at some form of production cut or a um, increase in demand in a sizable matter to bring us below 2 billion. And anytime that you have a 2 billion or greater carryout in corn, it is going to weigh on the market and cause some issues moving forward. So Jim, you got two for one there. She answered part of your question. So thank you for that. Uh, let's go Russ in Iowa. This is a historical question. Russ wants to know, historically, what are crop yields following a strong El Nino winter? Yeah, so I think the biggest collaboration we can kind of see here is is when you start to talk about what happens in the summer, right? Did you have an El Nino summer or a La Nina summer and how that affects yields? Those are your correlations that you're going to be able to see. Right now we're in a strong El Nino winter, but you're starting to see the trends and some forecast point towards a neutral spring and slowly move into a La Nina um, condition by the fall. And we know that La Nina conditions have a history of giving us lower yields. So I'm not so sure you actually see this El Nino winter pattern um, being a big dictator of where our yields can go. But right now we need to be aware that that forecast does come in neutral to switch back down to La Nina at this point. Sometimes they move slow, sometimes they move fast. But right now, if you carry a neutral stance into spring, into summer, uh, it gives you those trend line yields. However, I'm going to play like I asked you before, I think we were taping. What if you're not, what if the El Nino never arrived to you? Look at the drought monitor where it's still right. dry. How's yeah. that answer changed then there? So year over year, drought monitor is actually better in majority of areas. Um, unfortunately, uh, you look at kind of the eastern half of Iowa and they're in like rough conditions. Not only in the drought conditions, but like we could probably peg Iowa as a whole, southern Minnesota as a whole of having probably three years of drought conditions. It has been really, really dry. Mm -hmm. um, my issue when you start to talk about drought is the constant research and development that's put into seed genetics, specifically for drought tolerance. My concern on yields would probably come more in a wet, soggy year than it would dry. I think this year in a lot of areas proved to you that drought tolerance and seed genetics does its job. This crop kind of dug down, tried to find the moisture. But if you're coming on three years of no moisture, that's a little bit of a different situation. There's that old saying that's been told to me since I can remember that if you plant in the dust, the bins will bust. You plant in the mud, the crop's a dud. And, you know, I know it's a saying and so many factors come into it, but that really does play into this market and does seem to be true that I would be more scared of a wet start than I would be a dry start. But... What happens after that is all on the table. 
Well, let's look at soybeans then because they really don't like wet feet is the old adage, I guess. So Mitch in Iowa, though, wants to know, what do recently narrowing spreads on soybeans signal to you about the near-term outlook? I know we're kind of talking about the far term or the out, uh, the farther term. Yeah, so that was really cool to see. Um, you're starting to see that come in and that demand show itself. Uh, so... Soybeans and corn are in two different situations when it comes in. Corn and wheat have these large carries. Uh, Soybeans really started to narrow that up. Had the large carries, demand came in and shrunk that. Um, I'm not so sure it's signaling a lot because you can look at the dynamic of saying to the next month, right? We're into first notice now for January. So it's a little bit different. But coming into March to May, um, these type of things signal more like our decision making. So as a company, we chose to do some marketing more into the May soybeans in case we see what happened between March and May, um, similar to what happened in January and March where that shrunk. And if we do see that March contract start to creep up there, close the carry and rally a little bit more, we could apply that to it. So. I think it's more of uh, we're looking at it and forming our marketing strategy differently because of it. Okay, so I'm going to steal a little bit from the next question to follow up to yours. Beans, are we higher at this time next year? Oh, there's so many moving parts. I, you know, I think you look at kind of the U.S. crop that we have right now. We have really tight carryouts right now. So you can support a good price right now off the U.S. The problem is you look at the world dynamic and, and the potential of what's coming in. And I know I hammer that that situation on, on Brazil and Argentina together. Um, but even when you look at recent private estimates out of Brazil, they're 158 to 159. And that is not that far off from a record production. So we're not looking at losing 20 million metric ton of soybeans right now. And so that makes it tricky is that domestically we have a story Worldwide, it's just not collaborating together very well. We need those to come together. So I look at kind of where we're at, and I look at kind of moving forward. You have, you know, 12s on a bean and 5s on a corn. I think that favors some corn acres, and I think that's where you could see that really corn um, or beans needing to prove themselves to get some acres come this spring. Well, Dan in Oregon's the reason I asked the follow-up. Dan wants to know that same question with corn. By December 24, will grains be higher than they are today or lower? I'm specifically asking you about corn since we talked about beans. Yeah, same situation in, in corn is that there's so many moving parts that you can have, but the, the world dynamic in corn is a little bit different, but overall we still have ample amounts of corn. So okay. we need to see something change. We need some sort of story um, to shake that dynamic. And when you look at, when you pencil it, and you can pencil it, anyone can put those acre numbers in, but if we're at 2 billion here and you're looking at anything above 90 million acres planted, which I think is totally feasible, that is looking at a situation of a growth in U.S. carryouts without some sort of major problem. Well, that's the corn and soybean. I want to close with one final question here, and this is Robert in South Dakota. And this is the one I think I'm going to steal a little bit of what she's going to say. This might be the positive to end this market plus. Is there any news we could get at this point to rally wheat? Seems to shrug off anything that could be or should be bullish. Yeah, wheat's been a dog. <laughs> it's not been fun to deal with, but it, it looks like it's rounding out a bottom. It feels good. You're starting to hear these stories come up. The Russia-Ukraine dynamic is heating back up. We have demand showing up for wheat. We are still at tight carryouts domestically. So I think you have the stories to really be able to push wheat. And I do think that if wheat can get that spark, if it wants to buy off on something worldwide, I think that wheat could be that leader. And, and to be honest, on bullish markets, If wheat is the leader, usually it's good for everyone. 
All right. It's been good to have you here. Thank yes. you, Christy, for the time. Thank you. All right. Uh, before we close here, uh, I need to give a shout out uh, on a retirement that happened uh, in Iowa. Ed Wiestra is retiring as the general manager and head grain merchandiser for Hull Co-op on Friday after 41 years of service. 41 years is like the show has been on barely that long here. So congratulations to him and to all of you as some of you also retire at year's end. But we're going to see in 2024 because next week we're going to look at the high school classwork returning dividends to the community and we'll have Mr. Mark Gold to start off the year. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you next time.